Hi, thanks for checking out this message from our River Valley Church family here in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages and inspires you. For more messages, be sure to check out our other podcasts. For more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. Good morning, River Valley. How are we doing? Good. It's awesome to be with you uh, this morning and uh, count it a tremendous privilege. I was talking to Pastor Tim, and uh, 45 years ago, I preached my first sermon, and uh, I was 18 years old, and the uh, Lord had put a call of ministry on my life, and the local pastor where I grew up, I was in college, and he says, when you come home, I want you to preach a message. And um, it kind of made a deal with God. I said, God, I will never preach a message that's just out of my own thinking. I won't just take it out of a book. I won't steal somebody else's. You've got to give me the word. I've preached about 2,000 messages, and he's come through every time. And it's always fresh, and it's, it's, it's fun because it's fresh. You're not just going through the motions. So thank you. Pastor Tim, and thank you for allowing me. Okay, now I'm all messed up. Sorry. <laughs> We're doing a series on the table, and uh, looking at the life of Jesus, we see that, that eating and meals and sitting on a table was a common portion of his life. And uh, so we're seeking to, as Zach just said, live Jesus-shaped lives. And so we look at the life of Jesus, and we see what that looks like. This is the third in our series. Um, Pastor Zach did a fantastic job just laying the, uh, the groundwork, setting the table, pun intended, uh, for us to be able to see that. And Loretta, thank you again. This is so beautiful. And yes, Terry, these are real grapes, and they're good. Mm. No. <laughs> but uh, Zach left a, a, laid a, a great foundation for us historically and talked about uh, the tax collector. He's sitting here on the end of the table. And, uh, and Pastor Tim last week did a, a great job just sharing and talking about the, the immoral woman and, and the Pharisee and, and, and their place that Jesus gave for them. And, uh, you know, he talked about the immoral woman who crashed the party. How many of you have crashed the party? Anybody? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're my kind of people. I've never done it. I've wanted to do it. <laughs> Did you know that according to the National Association of Wedding Venues, one in 14 weddings is crashed? It's actually a, a prison sentence offense. They, they can, <laughs> so you need to be careful when you do that, but I've never had the guts, but... So Tim ended with this really powerful story about this prostitute that when he was on his mission with Youth of the Mission, they ministered to her and, and, and just shared the love of Jesus, which is such a picture of what Jesus is calling us to do. Because we all have sinners in our lives, people that maybe we wonder if they deserve the love of God. We would never say that out loud, would we? But we just kind of avoid them. And, you know, maybe it's they 
LGBT activist. Maybe it's the abortionist. Someone that we strongly disagree with their thinking and their philosophy of life. And, and so maybe in our heart of hearts, we, we don't know if the love of God really extends to them. Or, or maybe like the Pharisee, there's a religious person in your past that has wounded you and has brought mistrust and betrayed what you thought they should be. Jesus had a place for them. We talked about the immoral woman and this beautiful representation of who she's at. Again, wondering, are these people worthy of love? And today, we're, we're going to talk a bit about the, the person of poverty and, and the lame, the blind, the disenfranchised, the homeless person. Jesus had a place at the table for them. We're going to look at Luke chapter 14 today. And so let's stand together and just honoring God's word. Don't you just love God's word? Aren't you so thankful that God gave us more than just oral tradition? But he gave us something concrete, something written, something we can study, something we can grapple with and look at. So we're just going to read those first six verses to begin with. And it says, one Sabbath... When he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox has, who has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out. And they could not reply to these things. Father, we ask again this morning that you would come by your Holy Spirit. That, Lord, you would open our hearts. Open our hearts to your word. Bring revelation, bring new understanding. Lord, go beyond just our minds to the very core of our being. Lord, bring conviction. Lord, bring transformation in our hearts. Lord, I yield myself. Lord, I need you as much as I did the first time I spoke a message. Because unless you speak through me, it's just going to be another good talk. So, Lord, thank you for being here by your Holy Spirit. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So this was a Sabbath meal on this particular occasion, which was a very special kind of meal. There was kind of a higher level of, of uh, sense of honor and and you know, Jewish meals were a place that were to be a, a safe place, really. A place that people were honored and respected. That's why the psalmist David, in Psalm 23, he says, He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It was actually a, a place of safety. And two enemies could sit down. As long as they were having a meal together, there was, they, they laid down their conflict. But we see these religious leaders who knew this well, 
we're not abiding by these rules, as it were. And he said they were watching him closely. And there was a man with dropsy. It's not really a common term that we use today, but it's a, a inflammation of joints and a retention of, of fluid in the tissues. And I, I understand that sometimes it was very grotesque looking. We wonder why he was here. Uh, some scholars believe that it was a setup by the Pharisees to have him there. Others would say probably not. He, again, as Zach laid out, it was many times in a courtyard, an open area, and a lot of people were looking in. And as we saw with the, the, the woman, uh, the moral woman, she came into that uninvited. She was a party crasher. Maybe he was a party crasher. All it tells us is that he was before Jesus. And Jesus, knowing what the Pharisees were up to, turned the tables on them. That's pun intended there. And he begins to ask them a question, and he, he brings them to a place of, of silence and, and non-response. It's unlikely that this man, I think, was invited because they viewed somebody with dropsy as a man who was being punished by God for their sin. And so again, unworthy of the love of God. But Jesus does not hesitate to engage them. And he heals this man and then he sends them away. Now when I'm Tim asked me to preach in this, I, I read the whole 23 verses and I'm thinking, whoa, this is way too much to preach on a, on a morning. But, you know, we've got two hours, so it's not a problem. <laughs> but I was thinking, you know, we need to be able to get this thing down. And so I just, as I'm meditating on this, trying to figure out how this all fits together, it looks like it's a change of, of subject, as it were, as we go to verse 7. But I think actually Jesus was getting to the root, the core of the issue with these at the table. He's sitting here, he's teaching at the table, a very common thing for a rabbi to do. And so we move down to verse 7. He says, now he told a parable to those who were invited. And when he noticed how they chose the places of honor saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, I believe that last verse, verse 11, is the key to the whole passage. It's the very thing that Jesus was going after. And this was the, the, the fresh understanding and revelation that I got. And I ran it past Daryl, and he approves of this message. I just want you to know. 
I'm not sure if there's an equivalent in our society of this kind of hierarchy. We live in an egalitarian society that tries to make everyone the same. In fact, a person who has been successful or accomplished a lot is many times degraded in our society, and those who are actually criminals are exalted to a victim hero status. But let me tell you, the issue of pride and humility has not escaped us. It's a very core issue to us in our fallen condition. And it's something that the scripture actually addresses quite often. Someone said that the root of all sin is pride. The root of all sin is pride. What is biblical humility? I think most of us lack a real understanding of what humility actually is. Let me just tell you an amazing fact. The most wonderful, glorious, powerful being in the universe. Anybody guess who that is? That might be God. He is the most humble being in all the universe. How do do you put that together? The most exalted, the most glorious, most powerful is the most humble. Again, Scripture addresses this often. James chapter 4 and verse 6 is one example. He says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How many of you know that life is challenging enough without having God oppose you? Okay, so that should give us a clue that we need to be able to step into that. But what is true humility? I'll give you one simple definition that I think is is helpful. In that humility is being known for who you really are. No more, no less. It's just being known for who you are. Now we're going to see that in pride... We can take a false humility and denigrate ourselves, or we can take an exalted idea and exalt ourselves, but both of them are based in pride and not based based in truth and in reality. So humility is to be known for who you really are. Sometimes we think of humility as being a doormat. Well, they're such a humble person, they just let people walk over them. Uh, There's another word for that called enabling. (laughs) That's not humility. Some people would think of uh, humility as thinking of yourself as insignificant or maybe without value. No, that's, that's not humility at all. Some would say that being humble is to be nice and polite. Well, Jesus kind of blew that out of the water. We see that here as he very much consciously confronts the Pharisees. Other places, he calls them vipers and snakes and whitewashed tombs. Yeah, Jesus wasn't always nice and polite. He drove the money changers out of the temple area very unpolitely. So that's not what humility really is all about. Again, Jesus 
was perfectly humble. Keep that in perspective. Jesus was perfectly humble. So true humility, this is another thing to remember, enables you to not be overly concerned about what people think, but ultimately concerned what God thinks. Okay? So when I'm walking in humility, I think less, not less of myself, but less of myself. I don't think of myself all the time. True humility enables us to love like God loves. Now we're going to see that pride is one of the major blockages to being able to love. To being able to love, you have to be a person of humility. Because God is perfect in that. What does pride do? Pride causes us to be like the Pharisees. They turned God's law. I borrowed the Pharisees' copy of the Torah here. But this, this law was a law of love. It was a law to bring wholeness and rightness of relationship and people. But they turned that very law of love into a weapon to be used against people. We do that sometimes. We take the things that maybe God has worked in our lives and we use them as a judgment towards others. God's brought us kicking and screaming along our path of growth and maturity and then we turn around and say, what's wrong with you? And we forget of how the grace of God has worked it into our lives. Jesus said of the Pharisees, you, you put heavy burdens upon people that you yourself don't want to carry. You bring condemnation to others. Unfortunately, sometimes the church is known as a place of, judge, of judgmentalness. It's a sad commentary because it should be just the opposite. It should be a place of acceptance. And yet then we want to take that acceptance and twist that word and to make it to be this place of license. Again, this fine razor edge of walking in humility has two ditches that we can fall into. But pride, in essence, isolates and divides. It isolates and divides. It's probably the antithesis of love. And God hates it. Excuse me. But pride is very, very hard to see. In yourself. Oh, it's easy to recognize the pride of others. Very, very easy. It's just hard to see our own. So I've got some indications of that you might not be as humble as you think you are. This is total meddling. And I'll just warn you beforehand. 
It's not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination. It's just the things I see in you. Just kidding. <laughs> One of the indications are you're not open to other people's perspectives. Like the person who said, I would agree with you, but then we would both be wrong. This is the one that God dealt with me. You are self-conscious. You think about yourself too much. Now, as a younger man, I was a very, very self-conscious person. I actually wore it like a badge of honor because I thought that people that were confident and type A and kind of overbearing and loud. They were the proud people, and I was the humble one. So I, like Tim, was in Youth with a Mission in a discipleship training school. And I guess God knew that we were hard nuts to crack. And we had two solid weeks speaking on pride. I was like a week maybe more than a week into it, feeling pretty good about myself. Thinking, yeah, God, you were pretty lucky to get me. <laughs> Middle of one of those teachings, <laughs> the Lord began to show me. how much self-focus there was. You walk into a room and you're thinking about you. You're thinking about yourself. You're wondering, how do people perceive me? How am I fitting in? You know, if we knew how little people, a lot of us, we wouldn't worry about it so much. But that's when the Lord used the word. And I hate that. Let me make it clear. God loves you. But he hates your pride. He hates your pride. Because of what it does to you. And what it does to others. And it was such a, a deep and a strong revelation. It wasn't just myself, but we spent six hours on the floor weeping before God. I wished I could say it was all dealt with. But I know I know there's still a lot of pride because I know I don't love the way that Jesus loves. But again, let's bring this back to this context here. Jesus was going after something. He was going after the root of sin as only Jesus could do. And it wasn't by accident that he tells this parable of those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
We could go on to our little list here. You classify people. Maybe it's rich or poor or successful or not successful. Educated, uneducated. High or low status. Idahoans or Californians. <laughs> You think of people with a different point of view are less intelligent than you? Now, we would never say these things out loud, right? Just a very deep thing in your heart. You're judgmental of people who struggle with addictions, who don't handle their money well, who make poor decisions, who are addicted struggle with sexual sin, etc. You find it difficult to listen or to rather to love people that are not like you. Again, different political points of view. You're not a good listener. You tend to dominate the conversation. Could be an indication of pride. I'll give you another stinger because I got stung with this when I was in college and our pastor that was discipling us, Marcel and I, his kind of spiritual father, gave a list of things that uh, were indications of a seared conscience. And he gave this one that nailed me. He says, you're always late. You're habitually late because you value your time more than others. Oh, that hurt. You lack empathy and compassion for other people. You're not accommodating to others, but always wanting to be accommodated. It might be an indication there's some pride there. Philippians says it this way, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You're too busy to take time for others and for relationship. And we're going to see this really borne out. You don't take time in God's word or in his presence because you're too busy I'll unpack that a little more later. You need to be in control. You're more worried about your own comfort than another person's eternal destiny. Let me give you another statement. When we are humble, we are emotionally rich enough to bless others. You catch that? When we're humble, we're emotionally rich enough to bless others. True humility, again, enables us to love like God loves. Our vision statement at River Valley, what is it? To love God and to love people with all that we are and all that we have. Do you know that's impossible? without the grace of God, without true humility in our hearts. That's what empowers us to be able to, to do that. 
So Jesus comes with the application here in, in verse 12 as he continues this table conversation and teaching. He says, he said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the homeless, I added that, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be paid at the resurrection of the just. Now up to this point, we've seen as we've looked at the table, Jesus was being invited. He was a guest. And of course, Jesus was himself homeless, didn't have a place to entertain anyone, although he did feed 4,000 and 5,000, which I guess you could say is a pretty grand feature of hospitality. But he says, do not invite. Now, a better translation would be, do not habitually invite. Now, in our little family, we have 17 birthdays, and so we party a lot. But Jesus says, don't limit it to your family, to your close friends. He's not discouraging those things from happening, but he's saying, expand your table. Or we could say, expand your heart, because they're almost synonymous. So again, the point is, is that we're seeking to live this Jesus-shaped life that we begin to thinking of those outside of our borders, outside of our little space, our little bubble. When we are walking in a place of humility, we are freed from always thinking, am I comfortable? Is this going to be fun for me? What am I going to get out of this relationship? How would this benefit me? Do those all kind of sound like statements of pride? There is a correlation. So what's, what's the antidote of pride? Really, we, we have to begin to see ourselves as God sees us. Remember, we started with humility is to be known for who you really are. No more, no less. And no, you're not a worth nothing, unvaluable person. You are eternally valuable. You are deeply loved. You are so precious in his sight. But so is your neighbor. So we see Jesus. Okay, Jesus, the Son of God, needs to know and hear from the Father who he is. And so what do we hear at his baptism? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He wants to speak that to you. He wants to do that so that you are emotionally rich enough to bless others. To get that inside of your spirit, inside of your heart. We see this illustrated in the life of Jesus when just days before his crucifixion. 
And nobody would blame Jesus if he was a little preoccupied with himself as he was coming to a place of being crucified, the most inhumane form of death you can imagine, but way beyond that, to take on the sin of the entire world. And so he has this Last Supper, this meal, this time with his disciples. And how does he begin it? It's, it's completely different as the Pharisees, as you can imagine, because remember, Jesus comes to their table, and they don't even do the accustomary honoring of washing feet and anointing him with oil. And so God provides a woman to do that. But as they are sitting down, Jesus, he washes his disciples' feet. Let's look at that in, in John chapter 13, because we get insight into how he could do that. Remember, this is the Son of God. This is the one who created all things by the word of his power. He spoke the world into existence. You think he might have, could have had a feeling of a little bit of superiority? <laughs> But he humbled himself. He's here, took on human flesh, and he's with his disciples. But this is what it says. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God, and he would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel he had around him. It's amazing. Again, the one who spoke the world into existence. But he knew three things. First of all, he knew that the Father had given him all authority. That he trusted him. Did you know the Father has given you authority? He trusts you. He's, he's not done it himself, but he said, I'm putting the kingdom in your hands. I'm sure that God could figure out a way to preach the gospel other than to use us, but no, he he's, does that through us. Secondly, he knew he'd come from God. That, that he was God. That he was in right relationship with the Father, the Son. And so, too, we know that not only have we been created in the image of God, but that we have been then again adopted in our rebellion, brought back into the family as the prodigal son. We put the ring on our fingers and the sandals on our feet, and he said, you are heirs and joint heirs with me. You're part of the family part of the family business. And thirdly, he knew he was going back to the Father. You see, we know this, that we are so deeply loved that he wants to spend eternity with us. Did you, do you realize how God is anticipating spending eternity with you? If it was only just you, he is he says, my father has prepared a mansion, if you use the King James, or many places, 
they're going to be sweet, I can tell you that much. But it's all about, again, him being with us. And so when you understand that and the revelation is deep in your heart, you can walk in perfect humility saying, you know, it doesn't matter what you think about me. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks about me. The Father loves me. And he's, he trusts me. And he's got a place for me in his family. And when we have that true identity in him, and it comes by revelation, and it comes by repenting of our false identities. And our false identities are pride. And whatever we try to find our identity in, whether it be in success, whether it be in accomplishment, whether it be in our material possessions, our education, whatever it might, those are all false identities. Those are pride. But we find our identity in Him, then we're ready. So he continues... In verse 15, he says, Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a privilege it would be to have a share in the kingdom of God. I, I, you know, I'd just blown over that so many times, and I thought, Wow, that's true. It is a privilege. It is a privilege to have a share in the kingdom. Isn't it easy to take for granted? It's our pride that takes that for granted, by the way. But Jesus has an interesting response. He says, Jesus replied with this illustration. He says, a man prepared a great feast, and he sent out many invitations. And when all was ready, he sent his servant around to notify the guests that it was time for them to come. But they all began making excuses. One said he had bought a field and wanted to inspect it. He asked to be excused. Another said he had just bought five pair of oxen and wanted to try them out. Another had been married, so he couldn't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was angry and said, Go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the city and invite the poor, the crippled, the lion the lame and the blind. And after the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I invited first will get even the smallest taste of what I prepared for them. Pride is marked with excuses. Pride is marked with self-importance. Pride will keep us from the kingdom. Why was he angry? Because God hates pride. Because pride isolates Pride keeps us from one another, and it keeps us from him. As I was, this morning, I woke up 3 a.m. and was thinking about this passage. And I was thinking, wow, God, 
Do I count it a privilege to be a part of your kingdom? I, I'll just be honest with you. I struggle with taking extended times of fasting and getting away. And, you know, as a pastor, I did it more. It was just kind of a duty thing. But I don't consider it part of my job description now. But when you, know what that, you know what that tells me? Is I don't count it a privilege to be a part of the kingdom. I don't value that. And I thought of the scripture in Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, he will open the door, and I will come in to him, and I will have a meal with him. Often, I guess I always thought of this as that last supper, that being you know, the, the great banquet of the supper of the Lamb, of being in heaven. But no, I think God wants to set a meal for us every day. And he invites us to come. But only the humble will come. The pride will have excuses. The, pride, the proud will be too busy. But he stands there. The psalmist Asaph in Psalm 42 in verse 1 says, As a deer pants after the waters, so my soul longs and thirsts for you, O God. And I say, God, why don't I thirst more? Because I'm proud. Because I think other things are more important. So, the antidote to pride is allowing God by His Spirit to soften our hearts and to expose it to us and let Him put His finger on us and say, I hate that. And Him to develop in us, oh God, I hate it too. And when we hate something, we get rid of it, don't we? It takes His grace to do that. You can't get rid of pride yourself. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. But you can invite Him. I just want to close today by just leading us in a prayer of repentance. How many of you would just say, God, there's some pride in my life I want to get rid of? It's good to acknowledge it. It's good to say, yeah, it's me, God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your deep, deep love for us. Your love is amazing. Your love is unconditional. Your love knows no limits. But Lord, 
our pride can keep us from receiving that very love. And for that reason, you hate pride. You hate the fact that it causes us to be isolated and divided from other people. Whether we think ourselves as better or we think ourselves as less, it really doesn't matter. But Lord, we repent. We repent of finding our value in comparing ourselves to others. We repent, Lord, of finding our value in our accomplishments, in our titles, in our positions. And God, we repent of not valuing the privilege, the priceless privilege of knowing you and being a part of our kingdom, of being a part of your kingdom. Lord, we give you permission to do a deep work in our hearts. Lord, to bring deep conviction. Lord, deep surgery in us. And Lord, we stand against the enemy who would try to bring shame and condemnation to thwart that process of you just digging that out and causing us to hate it like you hate it so that we can be free of it. God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing love, for your amazing grace that changes and transforms us. And Lord, I pray for anyone here today, or maybe someone that's watching online that has never surrendered their life to you. Maybe they've just made lots of excuses. They went through the motions. They maybe went to church. They believe in you. But they've never surrendered their lives fully to you. Lord, would you just draw them right now by your Holy Spirit that they could just make that decision and say, Lord, take me as I am. Lord, I believe you died on the cross for my sin, for my pride. And I receive your forgiveness. I receive your love. Thanks again for listening to this message from River Valley Church. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by it? Make sure to share it with them this week. Again, for more content from us, please check out our website at rivervalleyboise.com.